0: Let's open our Bibles to Revelation chapter 2. The Word of God is powerful, and we'll get to that. But really what the, the message of the seven churches is that Jesus is speaking to the church in the last days. And, and these messages weren't only for that period. Now some people look at the seven churches and they see the, the separate, uh, seven different stages of the church all throughout uh the stages of history up to today, and some see the different types of churches or whatever. But they were specific churches in those days, but we we know that the Word of God isn't just for one specific time. It's for us as well. It's for us today. And I believe that we're... In the last days, I think that perhaps we could say that we're in the last of the last days. We're getting, and, and just by what's been happening in uh, in our world, how things have radically changed so quickly that that things can happen, and some of the things that have been, uh, you know, prophesied in the the prophecies of the of the Scripture, they will be fulfilled. But Jesus was speaking to the churches, and he and he's. And he can speak to us, too, as well. The first church he looked at, just a little quick review, was Ephesus. They were hardworking. They were very active. They were enduring hardships. They were not growing weary. They were discerning about doctrine. yet, it says that they left their first love. They left their first love, the most important thing. What were they, were, what were they supposed to do? They, were, they should repent and turn back and do the things that they did at first. The second church was the, the Church of Smyrna, and it was the, suf- the suffering church. They were facing affliction and poverty, slander and suffering and persecution and even death. Now, there was no all the other churches and had some kind of a thing that the Lord said, "I have this against you. there's a problem here." This is the only church that he didn't say that to. They were, they were just the suffering church. But this is what he did say to them. He says, you are rich. I know things look difficult, yet you are rich. He says, don't be afraid you know, to, to, to keep fighting the good fight, to be faithful, hold on to your faith. And he says, you will receive the crown of life. Ephesus was promised the tree of life. They would be able to partake of the tree of life. Uh, Smyrna was promised the crown of life and that they would not be hurt by the second death. Today we're looking uh, at the third church. It's a church called Pergamum, and it was about 70 miles. I, don't, I hope you can see this on your screens, but it's the third church here. It's, a, it's, it's up here. It was about 50 to 70. All these churches were really about 50 to 70 miles between each church. So if you think about New England, you know, we're about you know, 60 miles or so from the city of Boston, so, the, there were common factors in all of these seven churches, in each church, but, but not just that, there were also unique factors, they were different in different ways, and so the Lord spoke to them in different ways, just like each of us as individuals, God, you know, there are common things that the Lord speaks to us about, but there are also specific things he wants to speak into our lives, speak directly to in our lives, You have to ask yourself, I have to ask myself, Lord, what is it that you want to speak to me about? What are areas of my life that that I need to get on track with, that I need to get on board with, that I need to get right, that I need to repent about? So each of these churches were different. But what is very common to every single one of them is that Jesus was speaking and that they needed to listen and they needed to overcome Those three factors are are true of every single one of those churches, every single one of the churches today, and every single one of us as as individuals that that Jesus is speaking. But we have to listen. If you have an ear, he says, listen to what the Spirit is saying. And then we need to to do what he says, and we will overcome. This this church now, uh, Pergamum, it was a a, a Roman capital city of, of the place called Asia Minor. Not the Asia as we know it, but the Asia Minor area. And it was, it was an official center. They had emperor worship there. As a matter of fact, they had three temples to worship uh, the emperor. But in addition to that, they had all kinds of other temples, all kinds of idolatry going on. Idols of Dionysus and Athena, Demeter, Zeus, and and, uh, the biggest one there was a a god called Asculpius. And this god, this idol, really, uh, the symbol for it was a serpent. Imagine that. But this is what he says. We'll pick it up now in verse uh, 12, where we left, left off. It says, To the angel of the church in Pergamum, Right, these are the words of him who has the sharp, double-edged sword. Again, so Jesus is speaking to the church there. They're living in the, in the city of Pergamum. But he says this, and he, and he kind of refers back to chapter one where it spoke about him that he had the sharp, double-edged sword, that out of his mouth came a sharp, double-edged sword. So Jesus has this sword. And what is it? He says, out of his mouth came this sharp double-edged sword. So what is it? It's it's the word of God. It's the word of Jesus that speaks to you and I. As you'll notice on the screen, I put up uh, one of the key verses in the Bible that we should all know about. Uh, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, it says this, the the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. The word of God, the word of Jesus here in the book of Revelation, it gets right into the very core of who we are. If we will listen to it, if we will allow it, if we'll ever open up the book. Now, I know that if you're listening here today, you have a heart to hear what the Word of God says, because we always teach what the Bible says. We always teach the Word of God. If, if that's not important to you, I doubt that you will stay listening to a Calvary Chapel or so many other churches that are teaching the Bible. You, you'll say, well, I really don't want to hear about that. But if you are here, you're listening, it's because you want to hear what God's word has to say. But then we, we take it in and we, we, we need to act upon it as well. We don't just listen and walk away. And like James says, we, we look in the mirror and we walk away and we forget what we look like. The word of God, Jesus is speaking. Moving on into verse 13. He says this, I know where you live. I know your works, some uh, versions say, I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. Yet, you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness who was put to death in your city, where Satan lives. This is a crazy verse. It's a crazy situation there. They're in this place. Of course, it's completely full of idolatry, as I said. But but Jesus says, I know where you live. I know where you are. I know your situation. He knows about each one of us. He knows you. He knows where you live. He knows the street you live on, the house you live on. He knows what's going on. He knows your specific challenges. He knows my specific challenges. The interesting thing he says here, he says, Satan had his throne there. Now, was it a literal throne? We, we don't know for sure, but, but certainly, uh, there, with so much idolatry going on there, Satan was certainly involved in all of that. Anything that would take us away from the worship of the one true God is idolatry, and Satan is happy about that, but, but it was a dangerous place. A dangerous place for these believers to live in. And, 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 and truthfully, even though we are, our country has been historically a Christian nation, it's a dangerous place to live in as a believer. Why? Because there is so much idolatry. So much going on around us. There was a 150 foot high structure in the city of Pergamum to the god Zeus. Zeus. There, as I said, this god of Scopius, there were statues to him with the statues of Satan. Was this a, 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 of the serpent, which we also know is a, a, a picture of Satan as well. But was this a, a stronghold of Satan's power? Was it the location of his actual throne? Because I have to say this that Satan was, is a created being. He is not omnipresent like God. He is only in one place. He can only be in one place at one time. And so, does he have a throne, a literal throne, a, that he sits on a, 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 at some place, at somewhere? It's very possible. The truth of the matter is is that Satan would like to rule and reign. He would like to uh, be the king over all. And in some ways, he's the ruler of of this earth, and he's got authority now to some degree. Of course, that's all going to end at some point in time. But the Lord knows all about it. The Lord knew all about those people who were living there in the city of Pergamum. He knows you and I living here in the city, uh, uh, whatever city, town it is that you live in. He knows about North Kingstown where our church is located. That is the building, not the people. He knows the city of, uh, excuse me, the state of Rhode Island where, uh, you know, I had a, a a friend, I was with a friend uh, recently and and, you know, we were going to the train station and from the train station you can look up and see the state house and what's on, on top of the state house? A statue of the independent man. He knows where we live. He knows what we face. What did he say to them? He said, number one, he said, yet. He says, I know where you live. And he would said that kind of uh, thing to The church in Ephesus, he said it also to the church in Smyrna. I know, I know, I know, I know about you. But what did he say? The first thing he said to them, I know where you live. He said, yet, despite the difficult situation that you were in, he says, yet you remain true to my name. Literally, it's you hold fast my name. You're holding fast. You're holding tight to my name. And I think what a picture that is. We remain true. We hold tight to the name of Jesus. We continue to hold it. We hold it tight. We don't let it go. Hold on to the name of Jesus, no matter what it is is that's going around us, the idolatry, the the satanic diversions, all the stuff that's going around. Are you holding on to the name of Jesus? That's what Jesus said to the church there at Pergamum. He knew everything about them, but yet they're holding on. Hold on to the name of Jesus and the spiritual battles that we face. That's how we are going to overcome. The second thing he says to them there is that they did not renounce their faith. They did not renounce their faith in him. They held on to their faith, their trust. Hold on to the name of Jesus. Even though there were people that were being killed, he talks about Antipas who was martyred, who was put to death in the city of Pergamum, despite how difficult it got, they held on to their faith. They did not renounce their faith. All throughout the history of the church, people have been uh, you know, put to the test. Will you renounce your faith in me? People have been put to the sword, put, you know, burned at the stake and killed and, in all different kinds of ways because they would not renounce their faith in Jesus Christ. Will that happen in our country? I don't know if it will happen here. I think it. perhaps at some point in time it will get to that, where we will be put to the test. And will you and I, in the midst of all that, will we hold fast His name? And will we not renounce our faith in Him? He had these positive things to say about them, and those are great things. Those are important things. Yet, it wasn't perfect, it wasn't, they didn't have it all together, and so he goes on in verse 14 to talk about some things that, that, that needed to be addressed in their lives, and the life of their church. He says, nevertheless, I have a few things against you. Literally, it means I have some, uh, uh, some small things, but, uh, excuse me, a few things that are few in number, but, but not Small. A few things, but, but very important things. And when he speaks to our hearts and when he wants to get uh, you know, to us, he's not going to... You know, they're important things. When the Lord speaks to you and I, it's important. He wants to deal with something and we need to listen very carefully. He says, I have a few things against you. If, if any of us can say, you know what? There's nothing in my life that the Lord might want to deal with you need to go read the book of 1 John, where he says, you know what, if we, th- if we think we have no sin, we lie, and the truth isn't even in us. We're, we're, we've just, you know, we're off on, in la-la land, as far as I'm concerned. If we think we've got nothing that the Lord wants to deal with, that's like pride. It's foolishness. The Lord has things he wants to deal with in every one of our lives. So what was it there in that church? The first thing, he says a few things, and he, he mentions two. The first thing is there, he says, you have people there who hold to the teaching of Balaam. Now that's the very same word that we saw in the last, uh, uh, excuse me, In the last verse where he says, You hold to my name, it's the same verb. You hold to my name, but you also have people there who hold to the teaching of Balaam. And Balaam was a false teacher. And so so Jesus is is confronting them and says, You're holding to my name, and that's really good, but you also have people who are holding to the teaching of Balaam. You can't do both. You can't have both of these things in the same church. You've got to follow one or the other. It's like what he's going to say later. You know, you, you, you can't be lukewarm. You either be hot or you be cold. You can't do both. Balaam. This guy Balaam, you can read about it in the book of Numbers. Uh, Dalam, uh, Balaam, excuse me, he taught, there, there was a, a, a wicked king, who, a Moabite king, who, who wanted uh Balaam to curse the people of Israel. And, and actually, Balaam tried, but the Lord would not allow him, allow him to do that. So, what did he do? He taught this king, well, let's get to the people of Israel in a different way. And the, the ways that he did found there in, in that verse the first one is, is, uh, was to eat food sacrificed to idols. In other words, to participate in idolatry. So, yeah, you can be in the church and you can hold the name of Jesus, but you can also participate in idolatry. And again, as I've described, the city of Pergamum have idolatry all around it, and I believe here in this country we have idolatry of all different kinds around us too. So can we participate in both? Jesus is saying, no, you can't do both. The idolatry you can't have you can't worship me and also worship idols. Jesus talked about it. you can't you know worship me you can't worship God and worship money at the same time you can't do both. The second thing he confronted them about idolatry was the first and the second was sexual immorality sexual, uh, and, and Balak was, uh, Balaam was teaching them that, you know, you can get to them and uh, the, the, the people of Israel by, uh, you know, coming around the back door and teaching them about idolatry, and, and you can teach them that sexual immorality is, is okay. This term sexual immorality is the Greek word porneo. And and it's it's a it has a wide uh, uh, meaning really and it, it covers a lot of things. Well, well, to to sum it up, it's it's anything any sexual kind of thing outside normal relations between a husband and wife. Is, it covers all that. Any other kind of thing that is outside of normal relations between a husband and wife is covered in this term porneo. And so they were tempted, they were, they were deceived really into, into you know, committing sexual immorality of all different kinds. And, and part of the idolatry there included all, all types of sexual immorality. Now I have to say this, in our country, uh, sexual immorality is like, it's the norm. All different types, all different uh, kinds of, you know, uh, twisting of relationships, of sexual relations outside of marriage, people living together freely. Uh, you know, the, the whole issue of, of pornography, that's such a huge thing. And, and yeah, we have this technology, even by the technology that we can have our, our service online today, but it is a swamp of Pornography. Can you be involved in all these different things and still be a follower of Jesus? Not without being bombarded with the conviction of the Holy Spirit that no, you should not. And Jesus is confronting them directly. And he wants to confront you and I directly as well. We can't mess around with these things. It will destroy us. Paul says we sin against our own body when we follow this kind of uh, uh, activity. David Guzik, a a pastor and teacher, he says this, sexual immorality marked the whole culture of the Roman Empire. It was was them. It says, uh, he said it was simply taken for granted. And the person who lived by biblical standards of purity was considered strange to keep From sexual immorality in that culture, you really had to swim against the current. Boy, is it any different today than the the days of the Roman Empire? If you live by uh, biblical standards of purity, you are considered strange. If you you say, no, it's not right to live together before marriage, you are considered strange. Strange. No, it's not right to you know watch movies that are full of all types of pornography. No, you are considered strange if you say no. I, I you know I don't want to. I, I I will not do that. The flesh, of course, says go ahead and do that. The world says go ahead and do that. The enemy definitely says go ahead and do that. But Jesus says don't go down that path. Why? It's not good for you. It will destroy you. So you and I. You and I you need to be careful that we don't compromise. We don't compromise. These were both forms of compromise. So Balaam was there, and, and the teaching of Balaam was there in that church. And, and you know there are churches around today, well that, that all these things that I've just mentioned, it's perfectly OK. It's perfectly okay, and they'll teach that that's, and we welcome everybody here. Jesus says it's not okay. I read in the NIV study Bible it says that Balaam was a fitting prototype of corrupt teachers who deceive believers into compromise with worldliness. They were allowing these teachers there in that church. You have their people who hold to the teaching. The second one was very similar to it, and I won't spend a lot of time on it, was the the teaching also of the Nicolaitans. This was also a heretical sect that, that, uh, you know, they worked out a, a compromise. They were also compromising with the society around them. And they taught that spiritual liberty gave them leeway to practice idolatry and immorality. They were just like the teachers of Balaam. So they were, they're, they're in this church now, they've got, you know, the teaching of Balaam, the teaching of the Nicolaitans, and, and Jesus is saying, you can't, you can't do both. He says, I hate these things. Verse 16, what does he ask them to do? What to do? Repent. What to do? Repent. If we we have this in our lives, in our churches, we need to repent. What does the word repent mean? It means change our direction, change the way we think, change our minds. Five of the seven churches in in this section in the book of Revelation, five out of seven were told to repent. Repent. This is a big word, and I think we need to know what it means, and I think we we need to know how to do it in our own lives. When When we're going down a path that isn't healthy, that isn't right, when we're walking away from what Jesus says, we need to turn direction and turn back to following him. The word is used over and over. In fact, when John the Baptist came on the scene, what did he say? He said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. When Jesus began to preach, he said the very same words that John the Baptist did. He said, repent, turn direction. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's near. Peter, on the day of Pentecost, he told them to repent. Later, he told them in chapter 3, he said, repent. In chapter 8, he told them to repent. Paul, the apostle, taught in Acts chapter 17 and Acts chapter 26. He told the people that they should repent. You and I need to know what repentance is. You know what? I have to say this, that I truly and firmly believe that repentance is not a bad word. It's not a negative word. It is a, it is a very positive and powerful word, a word that you and I, because when we, we turn direction, what are we turning to? We're turning to Jesus himself. We're turning back to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And and how could that ever be negative? How could that ever be uh, bad? It is only good and positive. He says there in that verse, otherwise I will soon come to you and fight against them with the sword of my spirit. You know what? We don't want Jesus to come and fight against us. We definitely don't want that. Verse seventeen, the last verse in this uh, to this church, he says this: "He who has an ear, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches." To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give him a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to him who receives it. This is powerful. This is beautiful. He says, if you have an ear, let him hear. And again, that's found in all seven of the churches. It's it's really for every one of us as believers to, to listen. And what's also found there is in each of the seven letters that to him who overcomes, he had a promise for them. We all have things to overcome. In this particular church, what he's speaking to is false teaching and compromise. But through Jesus Christ, we can overcome. Perhaps we've, you know, you know followed false teaching. Perhaps we've kind of held on to things that just really aren't biblically, biblically sound. Perhaps we've been compromising in our own lives with the world. We're still, you know, we're trying to follow Jesus, but we're still partying in the world. We're still, you know, drinking it up and smoking it up and taking this kind of, you know, illicit drug. We're we're involved in, you know, all these kinds of idolatry and and the things of the world are more important to us than Jesus. We've compromised. We need to, to get back and get right and we need to turn back to Jesus and leave those things behind. That's the message that Jesus has given to them. But but look at what the promises are to, to him who overcomes through following Jesus, through repenting and following Jesus, following hard after him. He says, I will give the first thing I will give some of the hidden manna. I will give some of the hidden manna. You know, we're not going to see the hidden manna if we're compromising. It's just not going to happen. But we turn to him, we're going to see it, we're going to receive it. Manna is bread from heaven. You read about it in the, in the book of, of Exodus. You know, God fed the people with bread from heaven. They looked at it and said, what is it? which is the translation of the word manna. What is it? It's bread from heaven. Jesus talked about it in, Je- in John chapter 6. He says that, that he himself is the bread from heaven. So as you, as you and I, we, we turn and follow him and we, we leave compromise behind, we will have more of him in our lives, that hidden manna, he will give more of himself to us. The second thing He says, I will will also give him a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to him who receives it. Now, back in in those days in the the ancient courts, the the accused, they were condemned by little black stones. And, And if they were acquitted, they were acquitted with little white stones. But here he's saying that, that he, we would receive a white stone. and In other words, we would be cleansed and acquitted and set free as we turn to him. But this thing about the, the, a new name on it, it, it's really kind of beautiful. And it really is very special. It's unique. And I think it's also very personal that, that you and I will each receive a new name. Known only to him who receives it. Known only to me, only to you. What does that mean? It, it, it really means a, a close relationship, a very special relationship. You know, you have people in your lives, perhaps, where you call them by a nickname or you have a special name that you have given to them. Why? Because it's a special relationship. I have little names that I make up for my grandkids and, and uh, you know, my wife and I, we have nicknames for each other. <laughs> uh, I laugh because I call her wife and she calls me husband. <laughs> I don't know those are really nicknames, but but we say it in a very endearing way to each other. Why? Because it's special. We're special to each other. And Jesus wants to have that relationship with you and I where, where he speaks to us. A new name a closer relationship, more of Jesus. So Pergamum, let's wrap this up. Pergamum was a dangerous place. It was a wicked place. It was full of idolatry, yet, yet they had held fast. They held tight to the name of Jesus, and they they didn't renounce their faith. But yet they needed to repent. Of their compromise. Maybe it's a message for you and I. Like I said, we all have things in our lives we need to get right. We need to say no to. We need to turn back to Jesus and follow him. Things we need to beware of. Maybe, maybe we haven't got there yet, but there's been temptation. There's, there's been things, you know, kind of calling us. Well, just try this, just click on that, just go here, just do that. Just it's okay. We need to beware the, those voices are not coming from Jesus. We need to listen for his voice. What does he want to say to the churches today? Let's go ahead and pray. And bring our hearts before Him, bring our lives, bring our church before Him. We want to be a church that He's pleased with, that He's happy with, that He loves, that He lives within. Our gracious. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness, and we thank you for your word. It is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. These words that we read, these words that we have looked at today in your word in the book of Revelation, the words of Jesus, where the word of God gets into uh, the very dividing of bones and marrow and soul and spirit, right in the very heart of who we are, the very attitudes, the intents of our hearts. Lord, maybe you're speaking. Maybe you want to You want to challenge us. You, you're not afraid to challenge the church. You're not a, afraid to challenge each one of us. You Maybe there's something you're challenging us uh, with. Lord, do it. Lord, we want to hear you. We want more of you in our lives. We want more of that hidden manna. We want We want to have that pure white stone with the special name that you have for each one of us. We want that. Lord, hear our cry, hear our prayers. Give us the strength through the the name of Jesus and the blood of Jesus to, to make the changes that need to be made and to repent and turn back to you. God, help us. Lord Jesus, I also want to pray here today for any that might be listening that, that, that don't have a walk with you, that don't have a relationship at all with you, that, that can't say that they are one of yours. And I want to pray you'd show them t- today is a good day to say yes to you, Jesus. And so I say to you, if that's that's you here, you're listening, you can open your heart and pray with me right now and, and allow Jesus to come in. He wants to. He loves you. He died on the cross for you. He rose from the dead for you. And you can pray and you can believe in him and trust him and ask him in right now and say, Jesus, come in to my life. Forgive me. Be my Lord and be my Savior today, May 17th, 2020, that I might have eternal life, that I might live forever in heaven, forever and ever and ever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Why don't we all stand? And you can stand at home too and we can sing together. Uh, We can sing about our decision to follow Jesus, our Savior and our Lord.